Welcome back, boys and girls. This is the Six Overtimes podcast. Chaz Wagner and Scott Wildermuth with you today. We are coming to you from New York and Doylestown, Pennsylvania, talking Big East hoops. Check us out, sixovertimes.us, on Twitter, at Six Overtimes, and subscribe, download, and do what you do on iTunes to listen to us uh, as we release the podcast. Scott, so today it is, not to sound too much like Bill Simmons, but the uh, weather. Weather in New York is uh, about as crappy as it can be. I just want some snow. It's cold. It's rainy. Uh, dreary, gross. And it's and it's got me too much thinking about the pit hoops. Yeah, it's gloomy. And it's very gloomy out in Pittsburgh when you're talking about any sports, you know, uh, especially with the Steelers losing last weekend. And Last night you got the Panthers putting up 39 total points against Rutgers. It's it's ugly out there. I could. How does it get to this point? This the Pittsburgh sports teams has, have only won one uh, game this entire 2012 year, and that was the Steelers over the lowly Browns. So the Pens are struggling. Um, I think the Pittsburgh Fever or Soul or one of those crazy cheesy mascot names the indoor football team hopefully they can start playing well but yeah it's bad in pittsburgh and um back to the rain i i got a you know a decent umbrella for christmas thinking okay instead of buying those three dollar ones at penn station or these these crappy stands that's what i was that's what i was doing all the time yeah it's it's the day it's the uh day brella and you know you use it but i'm like i'll invest a little bit of money Take it out this morning, boom! The thing is shot. The one uh, little strand comes out on the top, and the entire umbrella shot. And you either got to have a Titleist umbrella, basically. I'm I'm thinking, or one of those stupid uh, Mercedes or BMW umbrellas that you got to spend pretty much eighty grand for that umbrella. <laughs> yeah, you got to get something that's like reinforced with titanium steel or something like that, or else you're just you got no shot. Yep, exactly. Got no shot. I don't well, envy that whole whole process having to go through that ever again. Um, but I got a new. I got another thing that I got to deal with. I'm I'm going to deal with like three feet of snow at a time out in Minneapolis. I, I'm not too thrilled about that uh, idea either. Is that what we got out there right now? I I don't normally check the forecast in Minneapolis. It hasn't snowed yet. Uh, it's been unseasonably like warm out there, so I know I'm moving out there for everyone that doesn't know in like three weeks or so. I'm gonna bring it with me. I'm gonna get hammered. It's gonna be terrible. Is that uh, is unseasonably warm like five degrees f- for them in January? Nah, it's been like uh, thirty-five or forty. Okay, well you're just moving closer to um, Buzz Williams and Marquette. I know that's your uh, your move there. Everyone thinks it's you know, work related. Uh, <laughs> You know, you're telling people one thing, but it's obviously to be closer to Buzz. Nothing like so. So that get, that brings up a good point, Scott. That you go into the Midwest. Um, today we want to Scott and I just want to have a conversation about the, these teams in the Big East that have uh, come out to really hot starts. Um, you know, really, you know, rose in the rankings, um, and those teams are Georgetown, Louisville, and Marquette. Um, the other day we talked about Pitt and Villanova. They're struggling, but it's been over the entire duration of the season. But with these teams, um, they they were playing well the first six weeks of the season into Christmas and New Year's, and um, they've hit some bumps in the road. We're gonna, you know, we're just gonna talk about it and see if they are simply bumps in the road or it's, um, you know, it's something more fundamental and it's where it's gonna last throughout the year. So. I say we start with with uh, the Georgetown Hoya Scott and start out the year really well, but uh, what's going on right now? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the three teams that you just mentioned that we're going to talk about, they've already had like these season arcs I've uh, been like referring to, almost like character arcs in movies that they've hit these high points and they've already hit these low points, and we're at this transitional spot where. We don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, all we can do is sit here and, and 
guess as well as we can based on what we've seen from each three of these teams. Um, you know, let's just, I'm going to start with, you know, diagnosing what's happened so far. And, and with Georgetown, there's been a lot of good this season. They started, I believe, 10 and 0. Um, and they had great wins early, but the biggest game that they had was the loss to Kansas by four in the Maui Invitational, I believe. Yeah, um, that, that was before um, they lost. They didn't get to ten and zero because they lost. Um, oh, they lost to like, Kansas. That's around right. like Thanksgiving, but yeah. Right. So, but they 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 ran the table basically uh, besides the Kansas win until they lost to West Virginia in their. I believe their second or third game um, in the Big East. Uh, but this loss to Kansas early on allowed these this national interest to really take a hold because early in the season, as everyone knows, Georgetown wasn't that heralded. I think they were picked 10th to finish in the Big East. And then they come out and they actually do a really nice job against Thomas Robinson and company against Kansas and push them to the limit. And everyone started watching uh, what Georgetown was going to do following that game. And they only just beat Memphis, which was ranked, I believe, in the top 12 at the time, in overtime by by a three. And then they had that huge win at Alabama with Hollis Thompson uh, drilling the three-pointer at with like three or four seconds left in order for uh, Georgetown to win the game. Yeah, they showed early in the year that they can win um, a variety of of you know, different styles of games. You talked about Memphis, which they did beat twice uh, in the Maui, and then there was just a regular, regularly scheduled game. But then you spoke of the Alabama game, really um, embodied kind of a Big East um, flowing game, low scoring, but then you hit the end of the game and someone needs to hit a big shot. And in, and then in that instance, it was, it was Hollis Thompson. Um yeah, it's like you know, those three games really just solidified Georgetown as a national team this year. I think. Yeah, and and uh, they were they you're absolutely correct. They were picked tenth in the Big East. I mean, people need to stay take a step back. Definitely Hoyas fans, but but everyone that covers hoops and tries to um, figure out what's wrong with with teams, uh, there. Are, you know, out kicking their coverage. They're doing uh, kind of like your your Bills to start the year. Your Buffalo Bills. You better believe it, baby. They started five and zero or or five and one, something something crazy. They started and, with hope. Yeah, it started with hope, and it's delusional. As we talked to the Georgetown guys last week, there was some delusion, there was some giddiness, there was some ex- excitement. But uh, you know, when you see these losses, they're only two losses, um, and mind you. Georgetown is one in ten against West Virginia and Cincinnati over the last, I think it's five years. I think they lost um, one in the, they played them in the Big East tournament once. So they've struggled with these teams every year. Um, whether they can ride this out and just get through these teams that they really struggle with, and this is their kryptonite. Um, that's that's um, we're still trying to figure that out. Yeah, and. You know, I want to talk about a couple other things that they've done well, and they started out the Big East season three and zero. I mean, they beat Marquette, they beat Louisville, and then they beat Villanova as well, I believe. Um, oh, I'm sorry, not Villanova, no. Providence. Providence. Yeah. But the interesting thing is that, uh, I mean, at least the first sign of trouble. I'm going to put that around quotes that I, I really sort of. Uh, furrowed my brow at when I was trying to follow Georgetown is they beat Providence forty nine to forty at a on like a noontime game on a Saturday, and I I really thought that they were just sleeping through the game, but it, that was one of the ugliest college basketball games that I think that I've ever watched. It looked like both teams didn't want to win, and. Georgetown didn't really look like they wanted to be involved in the game at all. And uh, that that sort of raised a couple of little flags there. And, you know, the main thing was is that these guys can have an off night and only put up 49 points. Like, you know, we were talking about Villanova on Tuesday where a jump-shooting team that uh, relies on that jump shot – 
is going to go through streaks where they don't shoot the ball well. Yeah, I'm just envisioning you furring, furrowing your eyebrow. <laughs> uh, we're only talking through audio, but I think we need to notch it up to video now that uh, now that those gestures are being done. Uh, you talked about that Providence game, and that's a really interesting point because after that win, I mean, they did somebody had to win, and it ended up being Georgetown, even though neither, neither team hit uh, hit 50 points. All the Georgetown fans and I, all reading all their blogs and, and fan posts, and and it's because they were on a win streak. Scott, Scott is we can win any type of game. You know, it yeah. was ugly, it wasn't pretty, but gosh darn it, we we came out on top, and we're gonna do whatever it takes. But now that they've gone through, uh, you know, in retrospect and, and and looking back on it, their offense stunk. I mean, it was uh, it went to sleep in in long lulls. And now that they lost to West Virginia and Cincy, you can go back to that game, and even though the result, you know, the end result was was they picked up a victory, they did not play well. And you hear a lot of coaches talk about it, and I do agree with it um, in most part, is we got to improve as the year goes along. You know, they don't get worked up about, okay, did we win, did we lose, because you're going to hit, especially in Big East with 18 games, are we improving, are we getting better in practice, you know, when game day comes, are we playing better, and that Providence game, that's that's a great example of, that was maybe one of the first warning signs that, yeah, this team is not as good as their number nine ranking. Well, the frightening thing too, Chaz, and you just touched on it, like teams look to improve on a game-to-game basis, and maybe it's not just the outcome at the end of the game, but it's how they play. And they go into this Providence game, put up an egg, and basically barely beat a team that really has struggled in Big E's play. And then they go and lose to West Virginia by a dozen and lose to Cincinnati by four points. I mean, you don't see that this this is a uh, this is sort of more of a trend, and they're not improving from game to game. They're not really learning, I guess. And the scary thing is, is that you know, in the West Virginia game, they shoot two of fourteen from three point line, and they turn the ball over fifteen times. Mm-hmm. And against Cincinnati, they turn the ball over fifteen times again. Yeah. 17. 17. Or 17, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and I don't want to jump on the... I don't want to be quick to to, um, make the point that this is is a typical Georgetown team or JT3 team of the last five or six years where they crack the top ten because this is the sixth straight year that they've reached the top ten, which is remarkable, um, even though they... Even though the uh, they let off some steam going down the stretch, I don't attribute it to that. Like, oh, here it's going to unfold and it's going to unravel, uh, you know, right before our very eyes. And it started with the West Virginia game. They are young. I mean, Otto Porter, um, Markel Starks, uh, some other guys, and they have enough senior senior leaders to augment the the freshmen. That I think uh, I think they can they can improve and. You know, when we're talking about Georgetown um, struggling a, a little bit, look at all the other teams struggling. So when you take a step back and look at the conference from a all-encompassing level, I, th- I think uh, I don't think it's that big of a deal for for the Hoyas. Certainly, I mean, I I, t- I tend to take the other um, other point of view, though. I think it's panic mode if you're a Hoyas fan. I think this is the high water mark of the season. Um, I think that their offense, based on the statistics, is probably unsustainable. Um, they're shooting at a 48% clip, and they shoot a lot of threes, and they take a lot of jump shots. And I don't know if they can keep that up throughout the rest of the season. Um, with that said, you know, you're talking about augmenting freshmen, um, you know, they're an experience with junior and senior level guys. You look for a higher per, uh, jump shot percentage team to do something else well, and usually that's rebounding. And these guys are really bad at rebounding. They're 11th in the Big East so far this season, and they're 8th in assists, so they're not even sharing the ball that well. Um, I think all those are concerns, and I really 
think that Georgetown is going to be a very middle-of-the-road Big East team, make the tournament, and uh, make some sort of whimper and be out in the first or second round. Yeah, well, I, for me, uh, if I were a Georgetown fan and, and uh, putting on uh, the uh, the white and the gray or the, the blue and the gray, that wouldn't be panic mode for me, uh, you know, finishing middle of the pack, 10 and 8, 9 and 9 in the Big East, and uh, maybe possibly making it to the second round of the uh, of the tournament weekend. Um, the good thing that I see is they haven't been blown out, Scott. Um, yeah. Pitt's been blown out. Villanova's been blown out. Um, who the heck else just got blown out the other night? Um, Louisville. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's a great transition. I mean, you know, they're losing, but when you um, – you're not going to execute. You're not going to hit your jump shots. Um, yeah, you can't rely solely upon Hollis Thompson's uh, and Markel Starks. I mean, Markel Starks, uh, he he had 20 points against Louisville. I don't think we're going to see that again where he was just automatic from from downtown. But the fact that they aren't getting blown out and they're competing, um, you know, gives me give me some hope and uh, I think some, some positive things to take into uh, – into this, the next stretch. So I brought up Louisville. Um, I think that's the next team that we got to cover where really hot start. Um, but it was, it was to be expected, Scott. These guys, second best start in school history. Uh, I believe they got to 12 and 0. Yeah. And number four ranking, uh, all is well. It comes around, uh, you know, Christmas time. Everyone's getting psyched. Everyone's looking towards that Kentucky game. Um, you know, battle for the bluegrass. Um, but before we got to that, um, they did have some good victories at Butler, at at Hinkle Fieldhouse. I know Butler's down from from last year, but it's still a tough place to play. And Brad Stevens always has those guys competing. They pull out a, a, a gutsy win and, and an ugly win against Vandy in overtime where Siva actually, that's when he was playing well. Yeah. Uh, they, too, beat, uh, beat a Memphis team that... Everyone thought was was very athletic and very good, but we're seeing that Memphis isn't as good. So Louisville put up a ton of points, 95 in that game. Uh, I think that was an aberration. This team is, as we'll talk about, is nowhere near that good uh, offensively. And then they, uh, I think those were their best. They beat Long Beach State, which looked like a good victory earlier in the year after Pitt lost. But uh, Casper Ware and the... Uh, 49ers have kind of uh, gone by the wayside. Yeah, I feel bad for Long Beach State a little bit. You know, they got that big win at Pitt and Pittsburgh, and everyone thought that that was going to be this big win that got them into the national tournament, and that win looks like crap now to... (laughs) for those guys, and, you know, it's it's tough to... It is tough. Yeah, you're like, oh, their RPI is going to be boosted so much, it's going to look great for... (laughs) The selection committee, but uh, yeah, it's it's you'd rather beat uh, a conference opponent for them. Yeah, right. A road victory in the uh, in their conference play would be better. But yeah, so they hit the first sign of trouble for me that I saw hit was not the Georgetown game, which was played after Christmas, which was a fun, exciting game, no matter who won that. But it was against Western Kentucky, Scott, and they they won the game seventy to sixty, but. If you take a step back, Western Kentucky stinks. Yeah, they're five and twelve on the year. They lost to IUPUI. They lost to some other scrubs out there. And Louisville was only up by four with a minute left. Hit a bunch of free throws down the stretch to end it. But that was the first uh, kind of foreshadowing of uh, you know a little bit of trouble and, and shakiness in in Louisville. Yeah, I mean Western Kentucky hasn't been good for five years or four years since they uh, made that little mini run, I believe, to the Sweet 16. Um, Hilltoppers. Yeah, and it's, you know, I, I feel like these Louisville teams under Patino, all they all have this, this, I don't know, they always just feel like they have a couple of letdowns per season. They're not mentally tough. I don't know if you get that feeling, but that's sort of, where I stand, and that's that wasn't that surprising of a barely win for me. I don't know. I think I think well, Patino teams have, if if I understand you correctly, I think they have been mentally tough in years past. Uh, Preston Knowles last year. Um, I mean that that kid was a warrior. He he since graduated this this past year. He's gone, 
Edgar Sosa. Yeah, I'm not tough, saying as tough as nails, but yeah, I think that uh, we'll get into it. But I think they lack that uh, really that mental toughness and that killer instinct this year. It always just, I guess, maybe mental toughness is the wrong thing, but it just always feels like they have a couple of letdowns every season against lesser opponents, and they sort of play down to their level instead of to the talent level that they have. Um, yeah, maybe mental toughness isn't the right word. Well, you know they what? Have- they um, Two years ago, uh, in 09, it was, it was in 09, I want to say that was three years ago then. Well, maybe it was played late in the year. But a few years back, anyways, uh, this team got blown out by uh by Notre Dame I think they lost by 30 or 35 and you know it just happens to teams and and back when they were in conference USA I was looking they got blown out by TCU where TCU has been terrible except for when Kurt Thomas and uh the hell Nalon who who led the NCAAs in scoring for years but it's the I think those are aberrations and you hope this is an aberration um this blowout to Providence as opposed to uh what you know, the wheels coming off. Yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, Louisville's had a little bit too much eggnog following, following Christmas and they've sort of had a mass, massive hangover for the past couple of weeks. Um, most, mostly highlighted by the loss to Georgetown, like you alluded to. They lost to Kentucky by seven and, you know, that's not a terrible loss. Kentucky's a great team. Um, they beat uh, St. John's by 15 at MSG. Took care of business. It was a it was a necessary win, and uh, I think the biggest one is that they lost to Notre Dame on their home floor, 67-65 in double overtime. Yeah, um, hmm. You, you, we, you didn't bring up the Providence game. Uh, oh yeah. Well, I was <laughs> I was leaving that to our uh, to a whole different. Uh, that's that's a that's a climax of it. We yeah. uh, that's a whole that's a whole another discussion. Uh, going back to you know the Kentucky game, those guys are too athletic for. We saw that very apparent in the matchup between Kyle Kirk and Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Where I mean, Kirk is he a senior or junior? Yeah. He's a he's an upperclassman basically, and Kidd Gilchrist is is only ten or fifteen games in, and. Kirk is a boy or a child, and, and Kid Gilchrist, um, you'd think it'd be the other way around in in terms of their their age and experience. But Kid Gilchrist was way too much for him, and Louisville's not going to play a team a team as athletic and as quick and strong night in and night out in the Big East. But that was um, very apparent to me, and I think everyone else that uh, Kyle Kirk is. He's a nice player. Um, he's limited. He hit, he's limited. Uh, he is a walk-on. Yeah. Let's let's not forget about that. He is a captain now. Uh, you think that all captains were four or five stars and very heralded coming in and um, great players, but the the kid's a walk-on, um, and he doesn't. I've seen in every game. I'm looking at the the stats. He shoots two free throws every game. He's two for two from the line. <laughs> and for a shooting guard, wingman, whatever you call him, and he's playing so many minutes, Scott. Yeah, he he's is. Playing, in the Notre Dame game, he played 50 minutes. Against Providence the other night, he had 39 minutes. Uh, the kid logs a ton of minutes, but he doesn't get to the line. You need a kid that initiates contact, gets penetration, like Kemba Walker or, I'll bring it up, Russ Smith sure. on the Cardinal. Uh, that that isn't afraid to go and and uh, take on the big guys down low. Yeah, and you know, I totally agree with you. And I think that you look for that special player that is Kemba Walker. And you know, I, I don't want I don't want to say that Kirk isn't that guy, but he isn't. So I'm going to say it anyway. Um, and I, I I agree with you that I think that Russ Smith should be in the game a little bit more than he has been. And I don't know if Patino is just giving the minutes to Couric because he feels more comfortable or what he's seeing. But I, I find that Kyle Couric's inconsistency scoring the basketball is really frustrating. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you touched on it earlier. He can't. He can't. He just can't. Guard Michael Kidd Gilchrist and and the guys that are sort of six foot yeah. seven and supremely athletic. Made. The kid's done had a nice career, good for him. 
But uh, for for Louisville to really be that Final Four contender that all the red and uh, white faithful thought they were going to be, it's it's tough with a a guy like that um, being asking him to be one of your main scorers. Um, from the prob from the Providence game, Scott, it was really uh, tough to watch that that exchange uh, exchange tiff. Uh, that between Russ Smith and Patino in the second half, uh, Russ Smith, if you didn't watch the game, uh, took a bad shot, ill-advised shot, which he does a lot. It, it happens with scores like that. It happens with Kemba and Ashton Gibbs and uh, everyone. Everyone. Kobe uh, took a bad shot, turned the ball over, uh, played a little, uh, didn't play good defense, wasn't in good position, came down, took another bad shot. Uh, Patino took him out right away, and the kid was just dejected and down on himself. And I think Patino, uh, I think it, it was either Patino or his son. Patino's son came over and tried to console him, but it was uh, it was not pretty. So I don't know what he's in his doghouse. I don't know what's going on, but I would like to see him play more minutes. And he's he's an enigma. He's going to shoot a lot, but they're hurting for sh- for scoring right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know what to say about that either. It was uncomfortable to watch, um, as as was the game itself. I mean, it was the 31-point drubbing at the hands of the Providence Friars. And, you know, I, I couldn't have guessed that in a million years that that's what was going to be the outcome of this game. And Louisville really, I mean... You talk about first signs of trouble. I mean, I hope that this isn't the first sign of trouble for these guys, and the rest of the season has just been, you know, them showing a little bit of inconsistency. They need to rally behind Patino. They need to rally behind Russ Smith and Kyle Kirk, and these guys need to step up and play better. Steven needs to do something. And you know who we really didn't talk about, who I think warrants to be in this discussion of disappointment in the past couple games is uh, Georgie uh, Jiang. And he's just sort of been... You're you're almost there with the name. Yeah, it's close. Um, (laughs) He, you know, he's fouled out a couple of times. He's been you know, sort of overshadowed by the likes of Jack Cooley and company. And it, it, they really need him to provide that frontline, you know, killer instinct spark type deal um, for the rest of the season or else they're going to be in trouble. Um, how do you think, Chaz, that they can really recover from um, these ills that they've had so far and get back on the right track and, and head towards a good showing in the, at the end of the year in the Big East? Uh, uh, I don't know where to st- – you want to put your finger on it, and we always want to s- shoot back with something like I know what's going to happen. But this team it's, – it's really hard to define with this team. They're not horrible at any one thing. Um they, you know, they're they're middle of the road for everything. The the Providence game probably sticks out. Uh, I think they were pretty good in a lot of things until the Providence game. Um, but yeah, you need a, first starting with Dang. You need him on the floor. Uh, it, I'll, it's very simple. Uh, he can't get into foul trouble. One, it's part of his fault. Uh, he's not. He's he's a sophomore. He's still. Feeling out his body, I don't think he played for that many years um, in high school. Or he's one of those late bloomers that came from some foreign country or didn't play in the states. That sounded like uh, a twisted novel that you can find on the Kmart shelves. Totally feeling out his body. Uh, feeling out, <laughs> feeling out his body. Uh, we won't put the joke about any college coaches in there. Um, <laughs> So he, you know, he, he needs better positioning. I think the coaches need to work with that. His footwork will improve, um, that sort of thing. But he's also had some bad luck. Uh, he's had some ticky-tack fouls that uh, Pitino has, has no other choice to, but, but to send him to the bench. So Dang needs to be on the floor. When, when Dang and Bahannon are on the floor together, uh, looking at the plus-minus of, of this team, they do very well. Uh, when Swapshire, Jared Swapshire, who... Probably played his best ball his um, 
early on at Louisville. Um, he was he was na- he's been nagged by injuries. He's not playing well. Rakeem Buckles uh, hasn't played well either, and it was very apparent he he just botched a dunk the other night. He's missing layups. Uh, not good. So they're everyone said that this was a very deep team, and they were going to be able to play from from top to bottom, and they could call in anyone. But we're seeing it's very apparent that uh, that's not the case. And you need to wrap up and all my spinning. They need Dang and Behannon on the floor. And uh, before we wrap up, move on to Marquette. Siva, he's the unquestioned leader. When he goes, the team goes. When he doesn't and he fouls out with 11 minutes in the game, it, it's just not going to work. Um, yeah. And, you know, if anyone out here is, is listening and really disagree with what we talked about with Georgetown and Louisville or they totally agree, I mean, you guys can hit us up on Twitter at six overtimes and send us an email, uh, at six overtimes at gmail.com and we'll probably talk about it on the air and, and discuss that. But I, I think that both of these teams that we've talked about really, they don't have easy paths to get back on track. Whereas I think Marquette has a better chance to get there. Yeah, well, Patino teams have done very well in February. He's he's been able to um, take what he's got and and extend it and maximize that all that talent or lack of talent that he has. But uh, Buzz, on the other hand, at Marquette, I think he has boatloads of talent. Uh, we see that, and uh, they these guys started out the year. Everyone they were the sexy pick, the uh, the sleeper. These guys are really going to emerge from a middle of the road or kind of that respectable Big East team into that upper echelon where they can be talked in the same likes of Syracuse and Yukon and we thought Pitt. Um, <laughs> yeah. And those 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 early games, uh I think that Washington game really sticks out in everyone's mind at the garden because it was on a big stage, because everyone was watching. It was such an exciting game where uh, they went up against Terrence Ross, who is, is, I think he's attracting a lot of NBA scouts with his talent. Um, the team played really well at the Garden, up-tempo game where Crowder hit a, hit a great shot at the end of the game to, uh, to win that. Some other big games that they won, it, it had to be their in-state rival was, was Wisconsin, Scott. So, yeah. those early games, what were, what kind of came out of those that, uh, got people excited and helped help that fast start to the year yeah i mean i think it was uh, expectations coupled with success early on they started out with 10 straight victories and like you alluded to a lot of people were looking at them to compete with yukon and syracuse for the top of the division this season and you know a possible number two seed in the ncaa tournament like that's where their expectations were and when you go off and beat the hell out of ole miss and then you win at Wisconsin by seven, which, you know, that's the cream of the crop in the Big Ten over there that play at such a different pace than what Marquette is used to. I mean, Marquette's the best when they're running up and down the court, and Wisconsin slows the ball down as much as they possibly can. So, you know, seeing them win in a way that wasn't necessarily at their strength really got everyone excited. And at the same time, they ended Wisconsin's 23 home game winning streak, which is a big deal. And, you know, DJO continues to be a great player for these guys. And with him uh, being a consistent scorer, Chaz, and Jay Crowder emerging as a possible first team, all Big East team player, uh, I we all thought that the sky was the limit for this team, and and you know we had a couple of uh, indications that they were really uh, playing a little bit above their head, though. Yeah, but they may have been playing above their head as Georgetown was and Louisville was. We're all these teams. That's why we're we're having this this episode today. But that game where they it it started to unravel, or at least. Uh, some of their weaknesses were exposed was was when they went to LSU. LSU's not a very good team. Uh, it was on the road, but they only put up 59 points and really struggled scoring down there. And then they they come back to uh come back home and completely get embarrassed uh against Vanderbilt. Uh Vanderbilt team that is improving. Um they struggled to start the year. I think those guys are the the reverse. 
the you know um, they are now starting to play well. But that game was alarming because one they didn't score and two they got off such to such a slow start and that's been a theme of of this team the entire year is where they they really struggle playing forty minutes of basketball. They can play great and look so good in spurts. Yep. Um, like against Georgetown, they were up twelve or fifteen in the second half and it looked like they were going to ride a convincing victory. And they just can't finish, and they can't put together a 40-minute game, whether it's a slow start or a a bad finish. Yeah, it's like you said that they're very talented, and then they can really uh, take over a game for periods and for spurts. But it's closing those games out and seeing if they can win. And you know, I think part of uh, why that they've struggled so far is a couple of things. I mean, LSU, the LSU game was a was a bad loss. It, it really was. There's no way around it. They were on a hot streak, and then they blew it, and they lost to a subpar SEC team, and there's nothing really else to say about that. But one of the things that I look at is Chris O'Toole going down with an injury, with a knee injury, on December 6th. And not that he was an explosive player or really, you know, put up dazzling numbers, but, you know, he put up five and five and he was a starting center for these guys. And without him, their lack of front court depth has really been exposed so far this season where they have to really depend on Jameel Wilson, Devontae Gardner, and a couple other guys off the bench to really you know, make sure that those rebounds and that interior toughness is picked up. Um, they really haven't found that until, I guess it was the other night when, uh, shoot, uh, when Gardner went nuts. Uh, what was that last well, big, night? Big smooth, big smooth has been okay. I'm, I'm, uh, I've been okay with big smooth. It's just finding another post guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. down there to compliment him. Yeah. Who's Big Smooth? What are you talking about? Devontae Gardner. He's got that big smoothness to him. He he's been inconsistent. I don't know if I can say that he's been great. He's been uh, not pretty great. up and down. Did I? If I use great, I I misused it. Yeah. But Big Smooth, I think, has filled in better than expected. Um, I thought I, I questioned his endurance, almost like uh, Jack Cooley, where I didn't think this guy could could log a lot of minutes and contribute, you know, effectively in, in second halves. But you saw it in the St. John's game and other games, and I was even going back and forth with a couple Marquette fans about about Big Smooth. And they've been pleasantly uh, surprised and impressed with uh, how he's filled in. But you need those other, um, you know, they're not, Jake Crowder's good, and people are like, oh, he can play the post, he can play the perimeter, he can inside and out, but he prefers to be on the outside. So Gardner has been the only main um, solid guy in the post, and I think what you're getting at is they need another guy to, uh, or more of a post presence to compete with these, uh, you know, these bigger biggies teams. Yeah, and you know, that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, uh, it doesn't matter where it comes from, but yeah. I guess with my knock on Gardner is that he disappeared in a couple of these games where they lost or beat Villanova unconvincingly in the last four of the last five games where, you know, he would have four points and two rebounds. He had a monster game last night against St. John's. But remember, St. John's is a very undersized, very shallow team where, you know, you sort of expect that your power forward or your center to have to expose that when you play against the Johnnies this season. Um, well, and yeah, you're talking about the post. They, they're they not a very good, uh, and you brought this up, they're not a very good three-point shooting team. So that would, I think if they were a better uh, outside shooting team and, and, a, and have an ability to knock down those trays, that would open up the post and uh, free up some space for DJO and Crowder to hit those you know, create, open up some space to hit those mid-range jumps. Yeah, and you know, Chaz, that actually, um, that brings up a really good point because what I was going to say is that they're not very great, they're not very good in the half court either. 
Um, mm-hmm. They don't really excel in a half-court set because they don't have a guy that they can really feed on the low post, and they don't have great shooters. It's almost a team of slashers that need to get a step on you, which you love seeing, but you need to have someone that can really consistently knock down an open shot, and that's really been Jay Crowder this season. Uh, DJO has been a little bit up and down with his field goal percentage so far. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're the best when they're turning the ball over, running in the open court, and really just getting a couple of layups and easy buckets because they're such good passers. Everyone, one through five, whoever's playing. Um, I, I don't know how you really fix that, but I think you need DJO to, to stroke it a little bit more consistently. What do you think, Jess? The the point about uh, get getting up and down the floor and running and uh, you know that up tempo which you know, Buzz wants that I mean he I think that's his style of coaching plus the um, makeup of his team those those two together that's that's how he wants to roll but the some of the opponents that they have played um, that doesn't match up very well with it uh, I'll start with Syracuse. Uh, nobody matches up well against Syracuse. We'll start with that. But the two-three zone, you can't. Uh, they just sit there. They set up, and you know it's there. And you know for their offense, they're they're getting back and they're in the two-three zone. That's always there. There's no avoiding it. There's no um. There's no way around it. So that was tough for them to get up in the in in the court too. Plus, when you got Dion Waiters on the other side of the ball, tough to keep up with that guy. Uh, then I'll look at that that Georgetown loss. Georgetown that on the um, on the offensive end with JT 3s Princeton offense, a um, lot, lot of backdoor cuts. They kind of slow it down in the half court. That just slows down the pace of play overall, limits the possessions, and that takes uh, Buzz and DJO and everyone away from from how they really want to play. Yeah, so uh, I guess uh, how does Marquette combat this sort of uh, lull early in the season for Big East play? What do you think their recovery, I guess, theme, or how how did they figure this out going forward? Uh, put, putting me in a bind, Scott. That's what I, I try mean, to I, do. I, exa- I, I spent myself on the Louisville um, trying to figure them out, and... I thought you were going to be the one that solved all all the Golden hey, Eagles problems. I can I can drop some knowledge if you want. Well, I I think that uh, with injuries you can't control. We've tried to diagnose Pitt's injuries and or Pitt's problems and saying just get Trey Woodall back. Easier said than done. You can't control the Chris Atule injury. I think it's a knee. We don't know when he's going to be back. Uh, but with the guys that you have, um, I would tend to say there's always. Um, Two ways to look at it. You can say the role guy, role players need to play better. You need to get more bench production, that sort of thing. Or you can take the stance of the stars, the leaders, the, the big boys need to step up. Uh, I would go with the latter. I would go with DJO and Crowder. You need to, um, just ride your horses. They're going to lose games, uh, mind you. But when you, you know, if, if you can get 11, 12 wins in the Big East, and just have these guys play their butts off, um, you know, really work the offense for them and make sure that they're getting their touches, getting their shots. It's okay if they go 35 or 40% from the field some nights. Got to get them their shots. So I would say uh, go with the uh, go with what you know. Yeah, and, you know, speaking of riding your horses, I mean, I'll take the uh, heavy lifting for this analysis if you want. Go for it. <laughs> um, of course I joke. But, you know, I, I think that there are a couple of things that they need to do. And one of them is they need to score. Um, however they do it, they just need to get the ball in the basket because most of their losses, if not all, have come uh, when they score less than 68 points. Actually, the only one where they uh, put up more was 70 against Georgetown. Um and then in that same vein, only three of their wins have come when they score less than 68 points. I mean, uh, I, I think that they really need to get up and down the floor. Secondly, um, they need to bring Dwayne Wade back. That's how scoring will increase. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Secondly, I think they're settling too much for three-point attempts. We touched on it earlier. Uh, they're not a great three-point shooting team, and they tend to be shooting too many, in my opinion. And uh, I, those are the two things that I think that they have to do besides DJ Owen Crowder uh, stepping up and, Otu- and filling the void that Otule left. The other thing is, this is going to sound way too simple, but sometimes it always is. They just got to win the games that they're supposed to win, right? Yeah. So they're playing Pitt at home. In the next five games, this is their lineup. They're playing Pitt at home. They're playing Louisville at home, so hold serve. Then they're playing at Providence versus uh, USF and then at Nova. Those are five perfectly winnable games for these guys. And Mm -hmm. if they go about their business and they take care of these guys that they should win – I mean, they put themselves in a really good situation uh, as far as the Big East unfolds after, what, eight games or nine games? Yes, yeah, Scott, I I got to I, I have to agree with you on, on that last point. Um, the others as well, but especially the last point. Just when uh, everyone's going to struggle. Uh, Syracuse is only the only team that I think could go, uh, you know, 17-1, and 18-0. Uh, after they won convincingly at, at Villanova, win, uh, don't have losses to Providence yep. by 30 points, what Louisville did. <laughs> uh, Pitt is now seen as a, as a, I think we were talking about, yeah, I think it was it Marquette or Georgetown. It was like, oh, they got, they got an easy stretch coming up to Paul Rutgers and Pitt. Yep. When you, it's been so long since the, uh, Ralph Lohr days that you lump Pitt into that, um, you know, guaranteed or, or sure, very, uh, sure thing that, that's a win. So, um, take care of business. They really haven't had a bad loss. They lost to Syracuse. They lost to Georgetown and, uh, that's it in the Big East. Yeah. So, and Vanderbilt loss was bad because it was 17 hey, and at home, but yeah, it's an on Um, they haven't had a bad loss in the Big East, which which is um, encouraging and, and kind of gives you some, you know, cautiously optimistic that they haven't had a a fall asleep game. But out of these three teams, it it it's a nice um, segue to out of these three teams based on their non conference Scott and four or five games of and about two weeks of play of Big East, who. Do you think it's going to be okay come that first week in March when seeding comes for uh, the Big East and and they might get a Thursday game, you know, not have to play those first two days? And then which team out of these three might be playing on Tuesday where the the wheels do come off and it's just what we're talking about their struggles now is uh, is going to run run true for the rest of the year? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think that that's an easy question to answer. I, I tend to lean towards liking Marquette the most out of this trio, uh, just because that they attack the basket a little bit more. They're a little bit deeper, and they have two really great players in DJO and Jay Crowder. Um, with that said, I don't necessarily think that these guys are going to be, you know, number two seeds in the NCAA tournament or number three seeds where. You know, for a time there, we were, that was sort of a given almost if they just held serve. Um, the team that I'm most worried about would probably be Georgetown just off the surface of it, but I'm going to go with Louisville and throw you a curveball because I really don't like one. I can't hit the curve. (laughs) I can hit the fastball. Yeah. I'll keep throwing it to you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I just Louisville. I get really concerned when I see players be despondent or dejected, and I don't necessarily think that that's something that the team is feeling. But if one of your players is feeling that way, it's sort of an indication that that's where everyone else is at. And um, if you're p- trying to play on a team and you make one or two mistakes and your t- and your coach yanks you and you're the second you know leading scorer for your squad uh, it's about how they react and how they come back to that and you know i think that they have the best chance to be playing on tuesday because of that uh, i don't think any of them will but 
if I had to bet on one of them taking taking the plunge to a Tuesday, I'd probably take Louisville. Yeah, uh, on, on Louisville to, to further that, um, team chemistry I think is lacking. Um, bad body language coming out of Russ Smith. Um, I saw one of the Louisville fans saying that Siva was trying to offer some advice to Chain Bahannon in the game, and he was really, um, you know, just kind of off-putting and cold and didn't really um, listen to him. I don't know what was exchanged. I could be looking too much into it. But, yeah, the body body language, the communication on the court just doesn't seem there. There's some, something seems to be off in, like, the DNA and the makeup of of Louisville, and that, that's that's bad. Yeah. You don't want that to happen. Georgetown, I think... I think it could be okay because they have a lot of freshmen playing. They've exceeded expectations. And I think these kids are, they're still having fun. They're riding um, the wave. Yeah, they haven't got, I, I think it's big that they haven't been blown out. Mm-hmm. Um, they should have won the Cincinnati game. Um, they didn't. They let it up at the end. I think they're going to, they seem to be enjoying it, um, even though losses will come. But Louisville, with such law, you know, high expectations, Cracking the top five, Final Four talk all the time. Living, you know, in the shadow of Kentucky and Calipari, and you know the Yum Center and all the great facilities and this and that. Um, yeah, it could, it could. Once some negativity gets going in the media down there, that the pressure is just—it's too much, um, especially on Siva, who is supposed to be that um, that leader of this ball club. Um, and then Marquette, the, I think they have enough talent that uh, it's going to. You know, pull them through that. So that's, uh, I think we've, uh, dissected it more than anyone should have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, somebody's got to do it. Yeah. And, you know, us and us at the six overtimes are going to give everyone that over analysis for every team in the Big East. Um, with that said, we're running over. So for my esteemed co host, Chaz Wagner, I am Scott Wildemuth. Uh, thanks again for stopping by, and, and make sure to hit us up on Twitter at Six Overtimes, and send us an email over at sixovertimes at gmail dot com. We'll get back to you as soon as possible, and, and bring up everything uh, that you guys are talking about on the podcast. Um, stay tuned; we're we're doing a Notre Dame podcast in a couple minutes, and uh, we'll be doing a preview of the Saturday games as well. So uh, until then, peace.